Welcome to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. Today it's not a classroom, it's a studio, but uh, I think it'll do just as well. And here she is, the author of Energy Matters, Robin Berlinski. Welcome to your show. (laughs) Thank you. So before we get started here, uh, one of the exciting things is this book of yours that's uh, taking the world by storm tell us about it what it does where it goes where people can find it it's really cool i I don't know many authors but now i can say i I do well (laughs) thank you that's that's a lot um it's actually still with my editor but maybe i'll send this tape and she'll push that along for us but it's a great book about um how to create a classroom culture that is positive full of great energy 180 chapters for 180 days of school so you can pick it up and choose what you know don't have to read it in any order and the goal is really to just champion teachers and say you've got this and i've got your back well i think it's fabulous that there is an outlet because again i don't know much about the teaching profession and that's one of the reasons i'm here i am a learner i want to learn more about it because i have great respect for educators where do educators go I guess before you came along for assistance, guidance, uh, pats on the back, you know, a- admiration, adoration, all of those things. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think uh, great. It starts at the core, the grade level team. You know, if I'm a first grade teacher and I teach with three other first grade teachers, we kind of root for each other. Then it goes up from there. You know, the principal and then the superintendent, the school board, the families, you know, you've really got to find your family within each like ecosystem of a school district. And then, you know, find the champions who are cheering. There's, there's great positive energy everywhere. And you've got to find the places that are going to provide that for you. There are a lot of educator conferences. I always recommend trying business conferences because you're the CEO of your classroom. You want to run it like a Fortune 500 company and have great profits, which in the school world means test scores, and then, you know, really build a great culture in your classroom. Well, which is asking a lot, of course, because you've already made it very clear that teaching is a very um, independent profession. I mean, you're in the classroom by yourself with the students. You don't have a lot of sounding boards, you know, and it can be, I I assume, rather lonely every once in a while if you're not getting that positive feedback. That's for sure. It can be. And I'll tell you, the greatest thing I've seen is a website called Teachers Pay Teachers, and there's Pinterest, and teachers can go online and find programs and lesson plans made by teachers with similar teaching styles. When I was teaching, there was a magazine called Mailbox, and I would get it in my mailbox every month, and I would just page by page absorb everything in there and i will say one time i submitted it an idea and it was published so i was really proud of that but you know things have changed and teachers do have more access to opportunity from teachers all across the world really well i must point out that one of the beauties of this show is it's it's interactive we're always looking for outside people to send in questions communicate uh, and you could do so at robin at the learning ring dot com t h e l e a r n i n g r i n g dot com, and we've already gotten some questions, which is wonderful because people are engaged in this. And you know, you talk about yourself as uh, having a superpower, and uh, I wish I knew what my superpower was. It's probably watching television or <laughs> maybe sleeping six hours a night. But in any in any case, what is your superpower? My superpower is problem solving. 
I like to listen and then work with teams of teachers to say, let's solve this together and then watch it all unfold before me. And my superpower is problem solving and then listening. But I do want to tell you, you do have a superpower. Your superpower is relationships. You are a very good um, communicator. So if you want it, if you just wanted to have that later, you can share with somebody. Well, you're very kind coming from <laughs> you. That's quite a compliment. All right, well, let's continue the communication. We got a question uh, and boy, this is a tough one. I can't wait to hear your your comments about this. Somebody wrote in, how do I deal with excessive tattling? I didn't know that Ooh. was such a problem. Oh, tattling. Yes. Um, that's a good one. And I do get that a lot in my workshops. And I will say this, especially in the lower grades, you know, students want to know that the teacher knows they, they see things and they want to make sure that, you know, we're policing everything well, because, you know, if a kid budges in front of you on the way to lunch, that's somebody needs to know. So they're going to tell the teacher and it's really tough because there's this fine line because, you know, we're going to grow up and we have to work with teams of coworkers and colleagues and bosses. So early childhood, elementary, that's the time to work on these soft skills. Um, and so I actually had this happen a while back. A fifth grade teacher during one of my workshops asked this exact question. Her students were tattling so much. It was really keeping her up at night. And you lose instructional time. And so what we did was zoomed up about 30,000 feet. And I said, okay, tattling's the problem, but how can we solve this and maybe use it as a teachable moment? Maybe there's something else in your classroom we could embed in with our solution. And I asked her what the students were struggling with academically. And she told me writing. Writing seemed to be something, I think maybe with all this texting, kids just don't write anymore. So we used that as part of the solution. And here's what she came up with. And I absolutely love this. She sat the kids down and she said, okay, guys, this is great. I love that you are all future police officers and policymakers. So what we're going to do is we're going to channel that energy into this great opportunity where you're going to fill out this beautiful form I created. And she showed it to them and she worked through how it's going to work. You're actually going to report in writing all the infractions that happened to you during the day. Brilliant. Right? Yes. So now wow. students have to really think, okay, is <laughs> wow. this important enough that I want to sit down and write about it or should I just let it go? And it was really great because she told me later that some students started out, you know, filling them out and, you know, telling her all the problems and it slowly faded away because it really, their return ROI was pretty low. So it really solved that problem. And her students wrote more. That's remarkable. Oh, I love that. All right, here's another question. And uh, you are a very high energy person. I'm sure a lot of people think, oh, I can't be as high energy as Robin Berlinski. But the question, I guess, is if I don't have the energy to be a cheerleader, what can I do? That's another great question. And, you know, my workshops really are very high energy. There's a lot of music, you know, really no one is on their phones because I have them up and moving and really showing how interactive classrooms can be so productive. But I do get that question a lot, you know, hey, I'm an introvert, you know, I don't get out of bed every morning, you know, ready to go. I kick in around two, you know, how can I do this in my classroom? It's just not me. And I will say, and this might surprise you, Ron, but I am an introvert. I uh, get my energy, <laughs> I know you're laughing. 
I get my energy when I'm alone. Crowds, concerts, that really like depletes my energy. It takes a lot for me to be there. So even though I have energy, it doesn't mean I'm you know cheerleading and jumping up and down. And I like to use this example. So I tell them to think about the national championship game, let's say college football. Okay, whether you're a sports fan or not, you know that on that game day, a football team comes running out of a tunnel, and you know all the energy, right? There's cheerleaders, a band, an announcer, um, that fog machine, (laughs) um, (laughs) all these things. You know, the TV stations are interviewing the players. So I say to the teachers in, in my workshop, how are these players feeling? And, and, you know, the word adrenaline comes up. You know, they've got to be just like pumped up with adrenaline. Okay. Well, the coach, we'll, we'll say the coach is you. You're the teacher. You're the coach. The coach isn't doing all this. The coach isn't in the stands playing the music. The coach isn't pushing the button on the fog machine or announcing, doesn't have pom-poms. So, you know, you're the driver of the energy, but you don't necessarily have to be the one jumping up and down. Does that make sense? Well, yes, but if you're the only one in the classroom, how do you how do you get that energy out there? I mean, how do you get that from the students? Maybe that's right. my question. Okay, so I'll give you an example, and this is going to seem really simple. And I I was kind of shocked myself. So it's it's little ways. Um, I was teaching first grade, and my students really were not excited about independent reading. I would say, okay, everybody, you know, and I would do my little energy dance, like, we're so excited, let's read. And they'd be like, yeah, we don't want to. It sounds so, like you, by yeah. the way, from a, I read in your bio about you. <laughs> Go ahead. So it was Halloween, and I bought a bunch of plastic witch fingernails that you put on the end of your finger, and you have a bunch of long, gross, black fingernails. Right. I handed out the fingernails, so every student had one, and I said, now let's go to independent reading, and as you read each word, touch it with your witch fingernail. Those kids were reading like nothing else. I thought that would maybe last a day or two. Oh, wait, because they're using the fingernails using to show where they are in the in, To in point the re- to the words, wow. to show their comprehension. And it was really funny to me because I thought, you know, things will fade away and then they become expected. You know, you can come up with the most bold idea, like, let's just be super crazy. You're going to jump out of a helicopter to say hello to your students in the morning. Well, yeah, the first day they're going to, you know, run to the window to see you jump out of a helicopter. But after day five, it's like, yeah, she's jumping out of her helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) You know, routine for kids, they get bored easily. I thought the fingernails maybe would last 10 minutes every day for an entire year. Can we use the fingernails? You just never know. And then the next year, the kids were like, yeah, the Fingernails are stupid. You just never know what's going to inspire your kids. You said something. I want to digress for a second because this makes me crazy. You said something about cell phones. And from what I can see, a lot of classrooms have their kids with cell phones in the classroom. And they're on their cell phones. So they're, they're doing things. How is that allowed? Am I being silly and stupid for asking such a question? Well, I would never say you're silly or stupid, at least not on air. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I, I haven't taught in the, 
in the world of cell phone. So I don't know exactly why they're being used, but I can tell you if I were a teacher right now, I would use cell phones. That's where we are. The world has evolved. It's there, you know, you've got a calculator on there. You can Google things like let's, you know, create an app, use an app. So I'm sure there are so many ways to use cell phones. Yeah, texting your friends or looking at TikTok, maybe not, but I'm sure there are great useful teaching tools on there. Sure as you would I know, but well said, <laughs> well said. All right, here's our next question. And boy, this is a hot topic. Standardized testing. Uh, I think you said it's not going away. We know that, but why do people hate standardized testing so much? Well, maybe that's a terrible thing to say. Why do some people hate it and some people love it? And why is it necessary? Ooh, yeah, that's like a whole, okay. Um, I don't know all the answers to this, but from my experience, you know, I, I will often hear kids say, you know, is this on the test? Do we need to know this? And there's a great rule of thumb I've always followed, and I tell my students this, is when you're ready to introduce a unit or teach something new, you want to tap into your students' past experiences. And if you're in a school where maybe they don't have the opportunity to experience a lot of things, you want to at least tap into their curiosity. Um, get kids excited and intrinsically motivated to learn. And a great way to do that is to look at their futures. You know, I always say my family is the community service poster in the classroom of kindergarten. You know, we're a policeman, a nurse, a teacher, and a fireman. Well, that's not true anymore. There are cloud engineers, data scientists, social media directors. These jobs did not exist when I was in school. So we're teaching kids who are really going to have jobs we don't even know about today. So what we want to do is prepare them to problem solve, think critically, communicate, collaborate, and do all these things that are going to create um, the, you know, their opportunity to be productive in the future workforce. The standardized test, you know, if you look at it as an opportunity for your kids to shine, if you tell them you're going to have this test in April and the, the powers that be want to know how smart you are. So for this school year, I'm going to support you as we grow toward this one day where you're going to take all these tests and you're going to show how brilliant you are. We're going to do that together because ultimately it's going to lead you to your future. And then talk about the jobs and why long division is important or algebra or, you know, history and how it relates to their futures. That tapping into their experiences or their curiosity or both, hopefully, is the best way to teach. The standardized tests are not going away. So we might as well work with them rather than against them. But why is there such a hue and cry? I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I'm not a good tester. Or there are a lot of colleges now that aren't taking SATs and ACTs. They're not requiring students to take those tests. How is that possible? How do you get a, a benchmark of a potential student, whether it's in a, in, to go to college or just to move from the fifth grade to the sixth grade, for example? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I wish I knew the answer. I would say, again, from my perspective, it's about there's so much to test on now that it's not, you know, what is it, the three R's we used to hear about, reading, writing, arithmetic right. back in the day. It's now coding and soft skills and problem solving. How do you measure problem solving? How do you measure creativity? And those test scores, you know, there's this saying, and I'm sure you've heard it, if you, what is it, if you test a fish on how well it can climb a tree, it's going to feel stupid its whole life. Are we testing kids on what they're really capable of doing and where they're most successful? 
probably not. So if we can't capture all of it, why do we just capture science and math and reading? So that could be an argument toward that. But again, I always say, you know, join, join in and make it work. It's not going away. I mean, I know that uh, the arts in the classroom, some kids are going to gravitate towards it more than others. But if you look at something like STEM, uh, science, technology, uh, uh, engineering, engineering uh, help me, and math, math right? Mm -hmm. I, I knew that. Um, that's pretty critical for future success. So it would stand to reason that, that would be kind of the the you know the basis for standardized tests. But you're asking a lot of a teacher to be able to take a young mind and try to figure out where that kid is at this point and and. Everybody's different. How do you take a class of 20 or 30 or 40 kids and give of your time to them to give them as much value as possible? And and how would how would not, I can't even say it properly, um, I'm just thinking about if we took the standardized test out of the equation, and I know we're not here arguing whether it's going to stay around or not. We know it's going to be here with us forever. But are, is this unfair? If a kid tests poorly on a standardized test, but is brilliant in these other things, which maybe we don't see unless we're in the classroom with that kid. Are we doing that child an injustice? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, w I would say, I, I love what you just said, and it's the challenge is there. It's real. And there's two things that come to mind when you say that. And one is interdiscipli interdisciplinary teaching is so important. And by that, I mean when you're teaching, let's say, social studies. And instead of memorizing a bunch of dates, why not do something like ancestry and learn about your your roots and you know look at a timeline that way and what was happening during that time period and making the social studies and the history come to life. And then you've got math because there's a timeline. How many years ago was that? How many months were they on the ship that took them from point A to point B? There's so much involved when you can create an opportunity for, stu for students to learn something bigger than a page in a math book or problems on a worksheet. So the more interdisciplinary teaching you can do, the more standards you're going to cover. And then students really are more prepared for those standardized tests because it's always about like how to do a problem, mm -hmm. not so much what the answer is. So that's kind of what comes to mind when you say that. And then the second thing is Daniel Pink has a book called Drive. And in it, he talks about genius hour. And I love that because it's an opportunity for kids to explore for one hour, whether it's a day or a week, probably a week because teachers don't have a lot of time to spare. And that one hour is their genius hour where they get to research what they're curious about, not what the teacher directs, but what they want to know more about. And that's really exciting because a lot of learning happens when you do that. All right. So from my critical standpoint, sitting here and asking you these, uh, these sometimes difficult questions, what we're describing almost sounds like the perfect classroom environment. But now let's throw in behavioral issues, which I know can be a tremendous effect on the positivity in a classroom. And a teacher has to deal with one particular student foregoing all the others. I'm sure you've gotten some great feedback from teachers about how they deal with disciplinary issues in the classroom. Yeah, I always say energy is energy, positive or negative. And when it appears negative, there's two things to do. The first get to the root of the negativity, find out what it is and what's happening. And then the second thing is, um, well, let me let me just start with a story. Sure. I, have, I have a muffin story. Can I, do I have time for my Absolutely. muffin story? I so, love a good muffin, by the way. Uh, 
Me too. So we were hosting a summer camp one year, and um, I was the director of the camp. So I was sort of, if you think about it, it's in the summer. So I'm the principal, basically. And I'm in this room, and I, I have no windows, and I'm doing my paperwork. And the teachers, the counselors, during the day when there would be a behavioral situation, would send this student, camper, to my office. And then I wanted to get to the root of whatever was causing whatever the behavior was. Because again, energy is energy. Let's see what this negative, quote, negative energy is. We would have a conversation and I would always offer this student a muffin. And we would chat and I would always learn something about this student. And again, learning something about a student is creating a relationship which builds trust. And ultimately, so many great things happen when you can do that. So we would have our muffin. I would learn more about the student. I would get to the root cause. We would strategize. I would give ideas for tools and strategies to get through the day, and the student would go back. And this continued for weeks where the student would come, you know, over and over again, kind of same story, different problem, different challenge, different solution. So one day, my my uh, lead teacher came down to me. It was a Friday Right before we went home, I was so psyched. The week had been great. I was on top of the world. You know, camp's awesome. I'm awesome. Life is awesome. She says, I need to talk to you. The teachers are all really upset. They think you are not supporting them. We have problems with students. We send send them to you to fix, and you reward them with a muffin. So now everybody just wants to get in trouble so they can come have a muffin with you, and we're really frustrated, and then have a good weekend, and they all went home. So I was mortified. I got in the car and I thought, oh my gosh, I have let everyone down. The whole weekend, I thought and thought and thought, what am I going to do? I, I have really failed. I have failed. And then it hit me. And I went in Monday morning and I told all the, the counselors to you know, come in my office. We need to have a conversation. And I started with, I hear you. And, and I want to apologize. I in no way meant to undermine your discipline strategy. I did not mean to reward any student for any negative behavior. That was not my intent. But I understand the impact, and I know what I did, and I want to start with an apology. And they all nodded like, yeah, okay, we got this. And I said, but we need to talk about our programming because if our programming is not more exciting than eating a muffin— with a middle-aged woman in a room with no windows, then we need to adjust our programming. And we did. That was a light bulb moment. So it's not so much about the activities. It's not so much about the lesson plans you create. If you don't have relationships and trust, mutual trust, it's really hard to start anywhere. I mean, I love the quote, they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Ooh, that's very powerful. So love that. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, what we're talking about here, too, which I think is important. Our studio may be here in Charleston, South Carolina, but what you're describing fits into any classroom anywhere in the country. Is that a safe assumption? That's a very safe assumption. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what feedback are you hearing from people on the national level about what they're doing in classrooms that, uh, you know, solving problems and, and uh, because you're the problem solver, you would recognize this. Are we dealing more with problem issues or, or does the good outweigh the bad, I guess? I, I know you probably don't have the statistics, but we, we, we all want to think positively. You know, these okay. kids are spending so much time in the classroom and the teachers are expected to do so much. Is that fair? 
It's fair. It's fair. There is there are a lot of great things happening across the country. There are a lot of districts. You know, there's the, you know, I'm I'm timing the episode here, but there's a lot of ESSER funding coming down into school districts from the pandemic. There's a lot of repair. There's so much opportunity. Um, it depends how you see glass full, you know, half full, half empty. But I am seeing a lot of districts embrace this moment in history where we have never had so much funding poured into the solution. And by that, I mean that districts are thinking more outside the box. They're thinking bigger. They're taking advantage of this one-time lifetime, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and really coming up with some new strategies on how to create a school, an environment, a culture in a district or a school or a classroom that has evolved into where we are today with the you know future workforce and all the opportunities and for career and college. So I, I'm very optimistic by what I see, the response to all the things that are happening. You know, yeah, there's there's positive, there's negative, you know, anywhere in any career, but I am seeing so many people rise to the top and it, it's very promising. It's so true what you said uh, earlier in the broadcast about we're we're preparing kids for careers that didn't exist when you and I were younger. I mean, titles and jobs that just didn't exist. People would have looked at you like you were uh, like you were crazy. Cloud engineer. Yeah, exactly. If I told my friends in 1982 I was going to be a cloud engineer, they what's that? Right? Isn't that something? Did you go to when uh, Disney in the Tomorrowland? Did you ever go to that oh, in the seventies? Of 70s? course, of course. Right? There's a girl on her bed talking to people on a TV. Yeah, you I know, remember it well. We're doing it now, <laughs> so it is crazy. It's just unbelievable. Well, the beauty of this program, as we get ready to wrap it up, is we're going to have guests coming in. We have all kinds of wonderful authorities, wonderful people from around the country that will be making an appearance. Uh, Robin, I want to commend you once again on the completion of your book, Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. How about a woohoo for that? Woohoo. Um, and that, coincidentally, is the name of this program as well. Uh, and I want you to know, folks, that if you have some comments or commentary or suggestions, please contact Robin directly at Robin at TheLearningRing.com. It's very easy. You just have to put it in one time, and it'll remember every time you put it into your uh, URL or sending an email, rather, Robin at TheLearningRing.com. Robin, I want to tell you, great job. I enjoy talking to you. I, I'm sitting here as a member of the audience. You know, what do I know about education? I know how to ask the questions. You're the expert, and I'm intrigued. I can't wait for more episodes. So my hat is you. off to you. Uh, I know this was... Uh, this was exciting, and, and I tell you, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair because I want to learn more. That's the beauty of it. Great. So I think you did something good. You've been listening to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski here on WTMA and on podcast. See you next time. <laughs>